1: Richard Franks is a freelance travel writer and journalist based in Birmingham in the UK. He's been writing about travel, culture, and music for over a decade, with bylines in BBC Travel, National Geographic Traveller, The Telegraph, The Times, The Guardian, Rough Guides, and many more. It's not often that you hear about a secret colony of Australian mammals living in the UK, and that's exactly what happened to Richard on a recent trip to Scotland. And that's where our story begins this week. This is the latest episode of The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry.
2: I was in Loss, which is just like a... It's, it's in lomond it's like a little... Mm-hmm. Um, i suppose like a beach village in uh, on the coast on the on the shores of loch lomond um and i overheard this this couple say oh apparently there's um there's wallabies on that island <laughs> and i was just like chuckling to myself in my head like surely not but then more like,
1: it's more likely to be the rugby players than actual wallabies yeah exactly
2: i'm like have you seen the climate it's yeah <laughs> probably like minus five when i was there Gee, or well like i was like no chance and then a few days later i remember just being at home and i was like hang on let me just check about this wallabies and i googled it and it's true and it was true amazing it it dates back to um this this famous uh woman called lady aaron who had sort of a penchant for exotic animals um and she was bringing all sorts over a lot of wallabies and then she brought like two or three over um i think it was in like the 1930s um obviously they mated and the population grew in and that it kept growing. So the, the, by the, by the 1960s, there was about 60 to 70 wallabies on the island who were sort of living cohabitually with, you know, uh, whatever would find, you would find on the island, you know, deer sure. can swim. So deer would come over, fallow deer would often come over to the island and they were living, wow. you know, they're herbivores, you know, so they're, they're all living together. They're fine. There's no animal that, would attack a deer or a wallaby other than maybe an eagle but you know
1: they're
2: they're probably not far like
1: between it. yeah
2: yeah so um anyway i did I, I i dug deeper and i found out that these wallabies are still on the island and wow. there was still a population of between sort of 50 to 70. <laughs> um the latest record of them i could find would have been like 2015 and this was maybe only three years ago so i was like right well i'm gonna go find them um I got in touch with whoever I needed to from Loch Lomond and and Visit Scotland and naturally they were quite hesitant to help because you know <laughs> they don't want me selling this island of wallabies and people start going there. I was like on holiday or camping. Like oh, Scotland. we're gonna get in trouble, are we? Is this like secret Wallaby Island? It's not so secret. People know about it, it's just right. I, I didn't for whatever reason. Sure. Um, but yeah, um I I uh I went over on a on a little boat <laughs> took my tent over it was in the middle of october like an idiot <laughs> um i put my tent up and and yeah um there i was camping in the pitch black with not too sure what was going on around me all i could hear was like ho- noises like hopping noises i'm sorry what hopping noises hopping
1: yeah I, I, yeah I, I'm feeling but I can't really think what that like in my brain it just goes boing which of course is yeah but like
2: unlike right. like leaves or bushes or something so you, you can hear them like, a, literally trampling kind of yeah but you know like how a footstep sounds where it's quite quick in succession one one like uh, uh, I think a hop uh, how would you describe it a hop is um they're airborne for
1: longer effectively
2: yeah it's a bit slower than a footstep
1: sure and sure it's
2: probably louder than a footstep because you've got the whole animal like landing yeah, um, wow. but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it was about one a.m. and I'd heard this hopping for ages, and I was like, right, I'm going to go out and have a look. So I, I popped my head torch on, um, and I, I followed this this uh, this trail, which was like a it was flanked by like bilberry bushes, and 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 every time I hit my leg on the bush, I was like, I was turning around trying to find, and I was, I was like, <laughs> no, that's just my leg. <laughs> and then after about ten minutes of just aimlessly wandering around at half one in the morning on an island in a Scottish, <laughs> October. Fantastic. Um, I turned around and there was a wallaby in the path and I, it, I saw it for about two seconds uh-huh. and then it hopped off Good and that Lord. was it. I saw one on that night only and that was it. Um, wow. Yeah. But then the next morning um, I woke up really loud bellowing, like 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 something was in pain okay um, one so i unzipped my tent and i was on the bottom i was near the bottom of the hill but just like directly in front of me um maybe uh 150 maybe 50 meters up the hill there was a stag like roaring wow. it it's rutting season whatever, of course yeah october november um and it was roaring in one direction and I didn't know what was going on. And a couple of minutes later, I got out of my tent and I, I tried to follow its eyesight or line of sight. And there was this, a little fallow deer swimming oh. across Loch Lomond towards this deer that was shouting for it. Unbelievable. And I, I was like, mind blown. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. And I probably will never see anything like that again.
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty solid kind of 12 hours of wildlife spotting right there then.
2: Yeah. And, th- and this, as I say, is in Scotland. These type of experiences people go to like Australia or New Zealand for. Sure. Not knowing that if you're lucky, which, you know, I was probably by the fact that it was in October and it wasn't in the middle of July where there'd be loads of other people camping. Um, I was the only one on the island by myself. It's a small island. It's probably sure. like a mile and a half long, if if that actually probably a mile by half a mile. Wow. Um and yeah it's uh it's one of those that, as travel stories go, but being so close to home, I don't think can be
1: beaten that's phenomenal. can you are you allowed to share the name of the island with us? Hopefully this won't cause a massive you know outpouring of people up to that island and yeah
2: it, it's out there, and people know, and the stories went out a couple of years ago on it was a BBC travel oh it was fantastic story, oh fascinating yeah, so the island's called Inchconnaken, okay. And it's it's in the middle of Loch Lomond, good lord. And it's in like this sort of um, stretch of islands, which is called the Narrows, because it has a really narrow, winding path of of water that go in between them all. And it's constantly calm water, so it's really good for like paddleboarding and kayaking and all that sort of thing. And it's and it's why wildlife are so, I suppose, abundant there. Um, because it's not very disturbed. The waters are calm. People don't tend
1: to go there that often. Sure. What a phenomenal story. There you go, folks. If you thought you had to go to the other side of the world to see wallabies, you really don't. They're actually on our own fair shore. So rather than an 18-hour flight to Melbourne or whatever it may be, you can jump on the Caledonian Sleeper, leave in London. I think it's London, Euston. Fall asleep there, wake up in Glasgow, and from there it's just a short drive to Loch Lomond. Fantastic. Richard, it sounds like you've been spending a lot of time in Scotland in the last few months. How did that come about?
2: Back, I think it was in November. I was offered um, the update of the Rough Guide to the North Coast Five Hundred physical book. Um, I went pretty much straight up there. A couple of weeks after that, and I did about two and a half, three weeks up there. Um, thankfully, dodged the snow by about one day. About home and lucky. snowed the next day. Yeah, just meeting new people, finding out what's new up there, um, making sure things are open still, which is particularly pre- precarious after <laughs> yeah, the pandemic. Sure. Um, Definitely. but yeah, uh, so just for Christmas, I was up there and then I went up again, um, uh, in the middle of January for a little over a week just to you know fill in the gaps and just meet people that I couldn't, um, however. I wasn't so lucky this time and I did get snowed in for like three or four days oh know, in the woods. Oh Jesus. Uh so yeah, um there's been a lot of back and forth on the phone. Uh, but yeah, that was um finished and submitted on Friday. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> That's out the way now.
1: And I feel your uh, I was gonna say I feel your pain. It's quite the opposite. I feel your relaxation or your relief, right? I've just submitted on a guidebook as well. And that final kind of click of the send the email and it all goes off into the ether it's a beautiful beautiful feeling right I've had mine hanging over my head since about September I think yeah so it's good to uh good to get those things done congratulations fantastic
2: thanks yeah I mean thankfully this is only an update so it's not like a brand new yeah I'm sure starting something from scratch the foundations are already there yeah yeah um so it wasn't as maybe time consuming as as it you know it can be if it was uh, a written from scratch but of course yeah um i'm pleased it's done and now on to the next one whatever that will be
1: (laughs) (laughs) no no need to be modest mate updates are obviously crucial as well right especially after the pandemic where we live we live in a very different world right it's good to to make sure as you say things are still open things are still operating
2: yeah of course
1: fantastic stuff uh you say you got stuck in a cabin in the snow Whereabouts were you for this
2: yeah, so um, I was staying at a new um, cabin in uh, just outside of Ullapool on the, on the west coast. Yeah, in the fantastic. Highlands, um, called Ecotone Cabins. It's a really great project actually, because the family who own they have two cabins, and the family who own the cabins they are also own the immediate forest land around them. Oh, brilliant! Um, all of they also own a construction company, so it's pretty much everything that's built they've done themselves. Um, it's really eco friendly. And all of the profits that go from people staying there go back into the forest to to keep it prolonged for future use. So it's effectively regenerative tourism, which is quite like a fascinating thing for me. I'm quite interested in that at the minute.
1: I'm just kind of listening to you now, and it all feels a little bit familiar folks if you're listening completely bizarre coincidence it sounds like richard and our editor-in-chief emma gibbs have actually stayed at the same cabin in the middle of nowhere within what about three months of each other richard you could have written the story for us had we known yeah.
2: <laughs> to be to be fair i did actually um i did actually ask emma if uh there was a scotland gap and she said no old-lifting. kidding so,
1: yeah. no kidding not only is the scotland gap filled it's the exact same bloody destiny. Yeah, exactly mentioned. yeah <laughs> Well, well, obviously, folks, you can stay tuned for issue four. We are going to print in about four or and a half weeks on that, um, and then you can read all about that. So you can read all about it in Emma's piece, and you can even read even more about it in Richard's guidebook, which is coming out in the summer. I imagine is that right?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, in August. Fantastic, yeah, and that's in
1: Ullapool up in mines. up in the on basically on the west coast of the Scottish Highlands, right?
2: Yeah, it's um, it, it's effectively the only slab of civilization you have <laughs> from the very north coast down to Ullapool. Ullapool is like the main port you can get sure, sure. you can get the ferry to like Lewis and Harris from there. Um and it's a really good base for exploring not only the North Coast 500, but you know areas like Asint and Torridon, etc. They're really close. Fantastic. Which and um, Asint could probably be described as like the UK's last wilderness. It's so vast. There's nothing mm-hmm. there just you and the deer it's an amazing place and yeah those cabins are are really cool but when you're snowed in as idyllic as that sounds when you have a guide (laughs) right it did help a little bit but I was there to go and experience things I maybe couldn't on the first trip so um so yeah it's a bit of sweet but uh it's a great place
1: it's a great place to be holed up if you've got if you've gotten you know if you just want to maybe cozy up in front of a log fire, I imagine.
2: Yeah. And especially with a book deadline, you know, yeah. Come on, like, there's nowhere better you could be than stuck snowed in, in a log, in a log cabin.
1: <laughs> sounds absolutely idyllic. You're quite right. Richard, it sounds like, um, I mean, we're already getting flavors of it already folks. It sounds like you've become a bit of a Scotland specialist over the last few years, perhaps you could share a little bit about how, you, how that happened, how, how that came about. Uh,
2: yeah. So, um, for want of a better phrase it probably came by fluke. Um, <laughs> don't because, be modest, don't be modest. Yeah, um You'll learn this, I'm quite modest. Um, <laughs> yeah for want of a better phrase I would say it was more of a fluke caused by the pandemic Sure. Um, because you know in, as, as a travel writer or journalist wants to do you want to travel the world, you want to go to far-flung exotic places, you want to absolutely learn about different cultures and try different foods but when you can't do those things, you tend to look a bit closer to home. Of course, um, and I've kind of sold Birmingham to death to the point where no other publication would take any more on it because I'd already done it for them before. <laughs> um, so I was looking for places a bit closer to home that I could just drive to or get the train to or whatever. And I've always had a bit of an affiliation with Scotland. I've I've spent a lot of time around Loch Lomond and. and and the islands and i've always been fascinated by them and you know there's there's hundreds there's eight 900 islands in oh, scotland i've yeah. always been really fascinated by those in particular um and the history that might be on them so yeah i suppose for, for the, the fluke that i'm talking about would be that i had nowhere else to go other than the uk so within like domestic tourism so i was back and forth with scotland back and forth and i was I knew parts really well anyway, uh, but I suppose for me personally, it was about getting to know the country better. And rather than stay at home, which is what I could have done, and I could have, you know, felt sorry for myself and and maybe got a job as a Uber eats driver or something, which you know I, I won't lie, say <laughs> cool. I didn't consider. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to be, become more familiar with with the country as a whole, and I felt like I've done that. And now. Um, you know, that's paying off because I'm getting editors come to me and say, oh, can you do this on Scotland? And that's that's actually how the, the North Coast 500 book came about. They approached me and said, would you like to do this? Fantastic. Um, so yeah, COVID in a, in a backhanded slap kind of way worked <laughs> well for me, kind of. I don't want to, <laughs> whenever I say that, people are like, what? But I did lose a lot of work. I lost all my work overnight.
1: Yeah, of like course.
2: Everyone did. Um, but in time I sort of made up for that with the Scotland stuff so
1: it sounds like you just um, showed resourcefulness right that's what any freelancer should be doing I know it was a tough time for everybody very very aware of that but you maybe noticed an opportunity and kind of took advantage of it and it's paying dividends now
2: yeah so my my original specialism obviously because I'm born here and I still live here is is Birmingham the West Midlands of course Um, up the villa yeah, exactly, up the villa. But we know that the West Midlands is not so much of a tourist hotspot to be sure, sure kind. So I had to pivot and I had to find somewhere that was more of a tourist hotspot. And of course, Scotland is known the world over. People travel from all over the world hundred um, percent to go to Scotland. So um, that was the way I managed to pivot in a time where I lost all of my work. So, and yeah, and now... Um, yeah, I mean, it has paid off because, as I say, I'm getting contacts from editors to to me, whereas I'm still pitching. But a lot of the time they're coming to me now also, which is really beneficial, obviously.
1: That's a nice thing. That's a nice kind of a nice change of dynamic, let say. You say there that um, West Midlands is maybe not as famous or well, certainly not as famous as Scotland for tourism. But Lord knows I think it's becoming more and more famous, particularly since the Commonwealth Games and kind of sporting and cultural events. So is it fair to say that, you know, Brum and and West Midlands, obviously I'm a a West Midlands lad, for those of you that don't know, from from Worcestershire, born and bred, it's definitely more on the global map than it's ever been before. Does that sound fair?
2: Oh, well, yeah, 100%. Um, And actually the Commonwealth Games coming when it did, just after, you know, things started to reopen again really worked in my favour because... Not only was I getting com- commissions based on the region from you know general editors that I knew, I could also start to pivot into more um, commercial work. So I was getting advertising campaigns, and I was working on those. And I was oh interesting. I was working for like um, BBC's advertorial arm outside of the UK, so oh, and like Australian tourists who were coming to the West Midlands for the Commonwealth Games
1: yeah oh, interesting
2: um, and i got a lot quite a lot of commercial work out of it and probably more so than the you know the the consumer work i should say um so it really benefited me the fact that the games happened so soon after the 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 opening
1: up effectively
2: yeah after everything opened again um right. it's definitely now uh, a city and a region that's more in people's minds i'd say even if people haven't been recently just seeing it on the tv yeah. You know, seeing those full stadiums, seeing all the athletes talk so well of the region. You know, it makes you really proud. I don't know
1: if you've been working on things like Visit Birmingham or VisitBirmingham.com. If you go on the visitbirmingham.com website, um, which is effectively the tourist arm of the city council or the the city, um uh, genuinely one of the best opening gambits to a to any website I've ever seen in my life. You load up visitbirmingham.com and the first sentence you see is Urad Bab and i think that might be the greatest first line of any uh, any website i've ever heard of any website i've ever seen rather um so whoever was in charge of that maybe the i don't know chief director of comms or whatever for visit birmingham bravo to you ma'am or sir that was absolutely spectacular <laughs> and it and it genuinely it made me want to visit birmingham just for that one sentence and it makes you proud right we're both we're both west midlanders and it's really great to see such a phenomenal city really kind of hitting the global spotlight
2: yeah, and I don't think there would be any other regional city that could have that as their opening gambit yeah, on, on their sort of main tourist website. It's a really like warming, friendly, like bubbly, like jolly accent, and I think that all right about that works with yeah, it. Perfectly. I think so,
1: hundred percent. It's fantastic, <laughs> Richard. Let's backtrack slightly. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you originally come from. Obviously, we know Birmingham, but maybe more specifically, you know what you studied and how you got into travel writing in the first place.
2: Yeah, um, you'll be pleased to know that I have listened to most of these uh, Journey podcasts. Oh, delighted, delighted. And and I would say that my approach is probably a little less conventional than, I suppose, most of the other people.
1: Jamie Jamie Lafferty used to clean toilets in a mental home, so that's that's pretty rare, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's very unconventional. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In terms of, um, I suppose, living in another country, I haven't done that which uh-huh. i feel like a lot of travel writers yeah have. that's a fair point yeah there are a couple i think there are a couple similarities between most travel writers travel writers one of them is that most people have lived in another country sure. another one is they might have been a staffer at a magazine or a newspaper
1: mm-hmm. interesting
2: and the other one intends to be that they've been to university so i've done none of those things we. um I left Birmingham briefly um, when I was, I think, 21 or 22 um, to go to university in London to study journalism. Um, But after about three months, I was like, nah, this is not for me. And I came back home with my towel between my legs. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I've I've been here ever since. And I I suppose um, also my my upbringing, I come from quite a, a poor single parent background um we'd never got to travel I didn't have a passport until I was maybe 13 14 um and we went to Paris um to Disneyland and and a couple of nights in Paris on one of those coach trips all included things
1: sure Um,
2: yeah and I never really actually got my first experiences in travel and abroad anyway until I was maybe 18 19 I'm 31 now so it's quite a short period of, of time where I've actually been traveling properly interesting um, and thankfully I've, I've sort of grown up in the era where Ryanair flights are like three quid
1: yeah I know right? it's phenomenal it's cheaper it's cheaper for me to get and go and visit my gran in the south of France than it is for me to go back and see my mum and dad in Worcester it's mad yeah
2: exactly so yeah from 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 quite a young age I I was interested in travel, and I think that's because I never got to travel yeah I was always really enough. curious because I never really got to go anywhere we just used to go to uh, Butlins in Minehead every year. Classic, classic, <laughs> um, classic, classic British holiday camp for yeah, those. Totally.
1: I um, got some friends yeah. who are in Butlins literally right now.
2: Yeah, actually, me um, and um, James March and, and my fiance, etc. We all go down to a festival at Butlins, uh, Butlins Bogner Regis. Oh, brilliant! It's like a, mu- a music festival. So I relive my childhood. <laughs> <through that.
1: laughs> fantastic
2: but yeah um yeah I've always been interested in writing um even at school I was only really good at English both Englishes and media studies I actually used the other classes to do my homework and <laughs> revise for English and media no way which if any of my teachers do end up listening to this I'm sorry
1: sorry teachers
2: um but it's all worked out well in the end, obviously. So well, yeah, I
1: mean, the English I'm teachers... sure they'll be okay be with it. Yeah, the English teachers listening, they'll be delighted.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, um, and and because... I suppose because I never went to university, I kind of felt like I had to set my own thing up. So I set up like a hyper-local website, which was local news, music, travel bits, all, all sorts. stuff. Yeah, that, that
1: sounds very similar to James March's background, actually, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people from... Birmingham because there's not really like a travel industry here as sure, such. Sure, um, they do tend to have to start their own thing up.
1: They have to amazing. sort of show
2: initiative a little bit, and and I think that's something that, you know, I'm glad that I did because a lot of even my full time jobs, which I'll touch on at some point, I'm sure, um, I was using my website on my CV because I set it all up. I learned um, HTML, SEO. I taught myself everything that's to build this website. It's still there, but there's nothing active on it.
1: What's the if you're allowed to share? What's it's effectively a blog on Birmingham and around? Is that right?
2: Yeah. Well, it was mostly music. It turned. I I went into music journalism before anything else.
1: Interesting. Um,
2: because again, I felt that Birmingham's music scene doesn't get a fair crack of the whip compared to like Manchester or Glasgow or London, etc. Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool too. So, so yeah, um, it's still there. It's called Counteract. Um, nice counteract.co is the website but there's been nothing on on there for maybe two and a half years it actually stopped when covid hit because you yeah, imagine um, there was no gigs happening at all so a lot of the benefit that i had a big team of people writing for me like maybe 30 to 40 people were involved at its, its biggest point good,
1: good lord you're a media mogul <laughs>
2: yeah but like in return for the writing they were getting like free gig tickets and festival tickets and yeah it's all good and, stuff nothing wrong with that Now the world goes
1: around
2: yeah and then we're getting like albums a couple of weeks ahead of release to review and all stuff like that so there were benefits like that um because it was non-profit anything that it did ever make just covered hosting and stuff like right, that
1: right so, um still very entrepreneurial very impressive yeah
2: and 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 from that i was getting you know work offers for it on a freelance side on the side of my jobs that I had at the time, which, you Excellent. know, were just maybe bar jobs. I worked in HMV for quite a while, which tied in well with Me. the music website. Absolutely. And then I worked on the bar at the O2 Academy. Yeah. So I was getting to see all these gigs all the time and then I'd go home and review them for the website. So, um, I purposefully kept those sort of bar jobs and, 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 and retail jobs to be able to Keep the website going, but obviously it gets to a point where you need a job, to, or <laughs> sure. a better-paid job to fund, you know, life. Of course, fascinating. There we
1: are. <laughs> Here we go, and and now you're writing for BBC Travel, National Geographic, Telegraph, Times, The Eye.
2: Yeah, I mean, it took a while. Um, I spoke. I suppose I should probably add as well that I bridged the gap from counteract and working on bars to to now with. Um, a full-time digital marketing job at the camping and caravanning club.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. because
2: their headquarters is in Coventry. Um, so that was sort of my travel. Gap, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I was often writing about you know campsites in Dorset and and all these places, and that was my travel angle. And uh-huh, then from uh-huh. then, I wanted I wanted to leave and do my own freelance thing. So, yeah, I, I've probably been freelance for maybe seven or eight years now um That's and nice. i'm still here so it's still slogging away aren't we all yeah fantastic, yeah. Mate. because i wasn't able to travel anywhere it kept me curious um and it made me wonder you know what's what's out there m- more than minehead like um nothing <laughs> wrong with actually, minehead
1: of course folks we love minehead but it's yeah, nice I to mean, see what else there is right
2: i really i really like minehead actually i went back last year in the summer wow, just brilliant day, but funnily enough on minehead my first major piece for any national um, travel Population. section I suppose, yeah, yeah. was on Minehead. Um, no way. And that was during like very early stages in the pandemic. Yeah. I do done know for places like Metro and Culture Trip before, but my first proper paid assignment where I went somewhere and, and I was there for a paper was for the Telegraph Good and news. it was on. Straight in at the deep end.
1: Wow. Yeah. And it was on
2: Minehead. So, um, it all comes full circle wonderful for a lot for a lot of this and it definitely has here
1: amazing stuff mate amazing okay folks we will be back after these messages
0: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: And welcome back, everybody. Obviously, folks, Richard and I were chatting a little bit before we, we went live, as it were. And we we're talking about various kind of good experiences, bad experiences uh, in, in Richard's life and, and his career as a, as a travel journalist. And one story comes to mind, Richard, perhaps you'd like to share a little bit with us now about a particularly bad car hire experience. Perhaps you could share a bit.
2: Yeah, so there was this story, um, actually I was listening to um, the, the podcast with Ross Clark and he said he's going to La Gomera to, to write about La uh, yeah, Gomera yeah. and that's what I was doing when I went um, and this was a couple of years ago for BBC Travel. Um, but yeah, I, I probably should have known that this assignment was cast because <laughs> it was rearranged six times during the pandemic. Oh, crikey. Um, and when it finally when I finally had that very short window to um, arrange everything and get out there and get the story and come home. It was arranged maybe two or three days before I was due to fly out. Ouch! So maybe a bit of naivety in my part. I probably should have waited a bit longer and I probably should have um, arranged things a little bit better. <laughs> because I didn't know who the car hire company was, um, who who were going to be giving me the car. And for those who don't know, Lagomera is a very small island just off the West coast of Tenerife. Um, it's really famous for its hiking trails, it has a national park, which Garahane which is very very high, it's almost 5,000 feet at the, the highest point point. Wow. Um, and there's a road which is almost at that level so bear that in mind anyway, <laughs> to get there you fly to Tenerife, you get a transfer to um, the ferry port and then you, it's like about a 45-50 minute crossing um and you know when you arrive at the airport and people have the signs which have your name on Yep. for a transfer. They said they were going to do that for me about the car hire, and then I just follow them because it was a little bit away from the ferry port. Except there was no one there, and I stood there for about an hour. Oh God. Um so I found out where the car hire offices were, and there was about six or seven in a row in this little building just on the side of the ferry port terminal. Obviously, I had no idea what the company was um secondly my Spanish is what I like to call Spanglish so yeah, they sure. can't understand me um <laughs> in Tenerife you can get away with it on La Gomera, no you cannot because they speak a, a certain dialect yeah which sure is a, slightly different to Tenerife and Canarian Spanish is also very different to Spanish, Spanish. that's right yeah, yeah um so yeah here I was trying to figure it out blah 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 um about 40 minutes later, a man comes up to me. Obviously, I looked very English. And he said, Are you Richard Banks? I said, Yes. Takes me to this car. It's like a beaten up old Renault Clio Great um, with like 145,000 miles on the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, How many
1: laps of the island must that be? it must be phenomenal. Yeah,
2: I know. Um, it was probably as old as me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I get in the car and I said, You know, is there a, a like, do you have GPS? Is there a, you know, sat mouth? And he was like, no, sorry. Okay. Um, So I have to find my way to the other end of the island, which is an hour and 20 minute drive across the highest peak of the island through the clouds. Wow, scary. And when I say through the clouds, I mean through the clouds. They were very low on that day. It was a a mixture of the mist and the clouds. Sure. Um, Yeah, so here I am just sort of heading up this big hill and I get to the top. I'm about 30 minutes in. Um, and I get to this little village and I can't see a thing because it's just cloudy and misty everywhere. So I'm driving along probably like 50 miles an hour, annoy- annoying everyone behind me. <laughs> um, also on the wrong side of the road, I'll add.
1: Wrong, uh, wrong side yeah. for you, right? Not the wrong yeah. side for them.
2: Yeah, wrong side for me. Phew. Okay, good. But what I'm used to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um and I took this sort of turning, which I thought would be the right turning, but instead I went into this really tiny hillside village, which had cobbled streets. Right. Because I couldn't see the signs because I was in the clouds, and it was it wasn't at night, so there's no streetlights. Um, also, I'm pretty sure it's like a designated dark sky zone, so they can't even have streetlights. Yeah, makes anyway, sense. <laughs> um, inconsiderate, yeah, I'm, isn't I'm, it? God. How inconsiderate yeah, of them. I know. Come on, <laughs> guys, think come on. Me.
1: Richard Frank's is coming. Get some streetlights. Yeah,
2: lights. think of the Brits. Um, <laughs> I'm driving down this, like, a higgledy-piggledy hillside that's going left and then right when I can't see. Wow, and scary. when I do begin to see, I'm driving down this hill. Um, and I'm not, I start to notice people that are driving past me, they're, like, waving at me. So I'm waving back, thinking, oh, <laughs> everyone's really friendly <laughs> it's around, so here. Nice around
1: here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And then uh, <laughs> it happens three or maybe four times until someone has to, like, drive in front of my car and say what the hell are you doing (laughs) you're going the wrong way down a wrong one-way street oh (laughs) there i am trying to do like a 52 point turn on a (laughs) cobbled hillside in the clouds i have to get back onto the main road i can't remember where the turn is i end up going back on myself and down the hill again and i'm back where i start oh no (laughs) oh no and this took me two hours when the whole journey was meant to take me an hour and twenty to get to the other side, so Ross Clark, if you're listening, only drive that road on a clear day. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: were you expecting to see at Lagomera? La had the you know had you got there and had the clouds parted? What were you there to actually see?
2: Yeah, I was there for the language for the for the Gomero to learn about it and to meet one of the pioneers who who made it you know a school subject, which I did do eventually when I got there um, um silver is a unesco um world heritage whistling language that yeah. originated in la Gomera, um originally used by the farmers um because they have very deep ravines yeah. and they found it very um energy consuming shall we say to traverse these deep ravines especially with cattle or sheep or something um yeah and and as as small languages do when you know telephones and and the internet comes along they tend to die out whereas this one is now protected um by unesco and it's a compulsory language in schools so um yeah i went to learn about that and why it became compulsory and i was taught some uh silvo Gomero. i was not very good at it um But yeah, I mean the stories up on BBC Travel. It was it was a, it was actually a really nice assignment. I know I've sort of made it sound like it was the thing from hell, but once the clouds parted, <laughs> to say, um, it it was a really nice and probably a different assignment for me because I I wouldn't normally do maybe something like that. So I was sure. I was a little bit out of my comfort zone anyway in the first place. Um, going to an island which predominantly doesn't speak English and also whistles as a language and I can do neither. <laughs> so yeah. oh,
1: they chose the wrong journalist for the job then surely. You couldn't yeah, drive well, there. You uh, couldn't see where you're going. You can't whistle. You can't speak Spanish.
2: Yeah. So, so well I can, but just not very good. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: Fantastic. Uh but
2: yeah, it, it's uh it was an experience and I'm really glad I did it and <laughs> yeah maybe next time I'll get a transfer or a guide to take me there.
1: <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> folks if you're interested to to read more, learn more. It's the Silbo Gomero, literally the the whistle of La Gomera, right? That's the kind of translation, yeah. Silbo is the whistle. Silbo, S-I-L-B-O, space G-O-M-E-R-O, Silbo Gomero. And it's a unique whistling language that helps the Spanish farmers kind of communicate across ravines on the island of La Gomera. Yeah. Fantastic. Richard, let's kind of start wending our way towards the end or maybe start thinking about the future a little bit. What kind of uh, trips or stories or plans do you have for the future? I know you've just come back from a hectic couple of months. Do you have any trips lined up for the future?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, in between Scotland trips, I've sort of fell into um, several California trips. Fantastic. Um, I went twice last year, and um, I might be going to Yosemite um, in a few weeks for some skiing lessons, which is, you know, being thrown in right at the deep end. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... um, I've got a really good contact with quite a few of the regional California tourist boards now. So I get quite a lot of, of work through them, Um largely outdoor active and music tourism, which is what I'm mostly interested so in. You in to a, a T, yeah. Yeah. So all of these things, it, it's a bit of me. So I'm, I'm, I'm well into that. And yeah, I suppose um Scotland inevitably. More of the same. Absolutely. These These ones come around uh, quite short notice. Or sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, you know what, I need to do something, so tomorrow I'll get the train or I'll drive there or something.
1: Well, as in you wake up and you might just go to Scotland tomorrow, is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, because I've got such good contacts there now, I can just sort of give someone a call and say, can you help? And, you know, it might might not always be possible, but it is possible and I'm really grateful to have these good contacts now. And that's also a result of going up and down so often in, in the pandemic.
1: It's part of being an expert in a destination, right? You've got the... Mm, specialist. Got, specialist. <laughs> spec, nicely, nicely done. Again, modest yeah. as ever, mate. Specialist, yeah, not expert. Fantastic. <laughs> um, let's kind of, as I say, we're slowly but surely working our way towards the, the end of our time together. Any, any advice? Let's kind of leave the listeners with some advice if they're looking to get into travel writing.
2: Yeah, I think the main one for me... Um, I I started getting more work when I could differentiate between really wanting to go somewhere because it's really nice or having a genuine interest in somewhere. Fantastic. That makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. Because when I first started out, I was getting all these offers to go to places like the Seychelles and Mauritius and Barbados. And I was like, yes, I'll go, I'll I'll go to all of them. But (laughs) realistically, I don't really have that much of an interest in, uh, like a luxury holidays or properties or destinations outside of going on holiday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so once you start to learn to draw in your real interest into the work that you're doing, you can then be seen as more genuine with what you're doing. Excellent. And most of my work now only, well, all of it actually only comes from my genuine interest. So I won't ever pitch something on somewhere that I'm not interested in going because it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of the PR's time. It's a waste of the reader's time. It's you know, it, it's not. Definitely. It's not a nice experience to put yourself through if you're not that interested.
1: It's the difference between going somewhere for a nice destination and going somewhere for a good story, right? You need to be yeah. involved in the story to tell a good story. Let's say
2: exactly. And when you can begin to separate the holiday from the story, is when, when, in my opinion, you can start to become a serious travel writer or travel journalist or photographer or whatever you whatever you are doing so I think that would be my main tip um in That's terms fantastic. of in terms of finding the work and, and being I suppose just be genuine to yourself because it's very easy when you lose a bit of work to fall into a trap of just like taking on any work that you can and I try not to do that now but we all have to do it at some point but you know as as much as you can just you know stick to what you're interested in and And I always find that that will show in what you write.
1: Definitely. I I dare say it will make the writing easier because you're involved in it anyway. And of course that will show through to the reader that you can maybe add insight that somebody else couldn't, or you can relate to the story more than, than any other person could.
2: I have this genuine interest in certain things or certain parts of the world. And I think, or I hope that (laughs) in what I do. So, so yeah, just try and stay as true as you can and, and just separate holiday from a story. Because once you blend the two, it never ends well. (laughs) Fantastic.
1: (laughs) Folks, you've been listening to Richard Franks, a freelance travel writer and journalist based in Birmingham in the UK. Richard, thank you so much for for joining us today, mate. We really appreciate your time. Perhaps you could leave us by telling the people how they can find you online, Twitter, Facebook, website, et cetera.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, my website is richardfranks.co.uk. Um, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Richard Franks Travel and also on Twitter at Richard P. Franks. Thanks for having me.
1: Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks again. Folks, you've been listening to the Journey podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.
0: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Mito Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum.